Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Listen to the podcast, or you can go online and watch um, on, on YouTube for our services from our TKK campus. But uh, our title for our message today is You Have My Permission. You have my permission. So let me pray real quick, and then we'll jump in, because we've got a lot of scripture to cover. We've got a lot of things to talk about today. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are open for business today. I thank you that you speak to each one of our hearts, letting us know exactly what we need to hear personally. And I thank you that, that you will just um, speak it in, the, in that, that, that place of, of grace and of comfort, but also with a seriousness, because this is so important that we find freedom in Jesus. And I thank you for that. Amen. All right, so permission, as described by Webster's Dictionary, right, we all know that thing, is the act of permitting and allowing something to happen, okay? And so often, um, people and believers um, tend to kind of think in the physical when it comes to this, because we tend to think, well, you know what, you can't have permission unless I grant you the permission to have something happen in my life. But what we don't understand sometimes is that there is a spiritual side to this. There's a spiritual side where oftentimes, sometimes what we think is we're, we're just kind of doing something, but not realizing what we just did that doesn't line up with God's word just gave permission for the enemy to come into our life. We don't understand because we think physically, right? Because we say, hey, you can't, you don't have permission to come into my house if you're going to steal, right? Or, or if you have a gun or anything like that. No, you're not going to do it, okay? But when it comes to spiritual things, we don't understand that when we give place to things that are, are not righteous and are ungodly, then we are now giving permission for the enemy to have a foothold, a stronghold into our life. And it's so key that we understand that. And you would think about, let me, let me give you a couple questions out of, out of this, this, this message, and we're going to kind of cover those things. But sometimes... Think about it. Do we ever, as believers, and I kind of gave it away already, grant Satan or his co-workers permission to come against us to take us bondage in an area of our life? Now, a lot of people, before, if I didn't say that, there might be that thought of, no, I don't think so. I mean, that's not something that I would want to happen to me. But we do. We in, in, unintentionally by the choices we live in when we live according to the flesh and not according to the spirit, we allow him, allow the enemy to come in and, and put some strongholds or puts a foothold into our life that then causes us to be in bondage to something. Along with that, think of this. Do you think that God ever grants Satan permission to take us bondage in an area? Does God ever grant Satan position, uh, permission to take us bondage in an area. Again, we're probably looking at it and thinking, man, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, because God, God's a God of love. God's a God of grace. God's a God who, you know, um, doesn't want anything bad to happen. That's what you tell us, Pastor Scott. He loves me so much, right? But think about, for a minute, the whole of the, the Old Testament, 
Okay? In the Old Testament, we find God's people sinning against God like a whole lot, right? I mean, every time you're turning around and you're reading in the Old Testament, you're like, man, not again. You guys are like, just don't get it, do you? I mean, God's like so gracious and he pulls you out. Yet here you are a couple years later, back to your same old habits and same old things that you're doing. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, they were worshiping idols. They were not obeying and following God's commandment, God's direction. Their heart was constantly hardened towards him, wouldn't even press in, wouldn't even lean in, kind of just kind of doing their own thing. But we can see consistently that God would always come back in his grace and always say, and always warn him, right? Always say, hey, don't, you guys need to wake up. You guys need to put yourself in a position to where, you know what, you start seeking me, not that, because if you don't, then, right, I'm going to have to give permission to your enemies to come in and take you bondage. You, have you ever read that in the Old Testament? Where you, where you read it and you're like, man, the, man, they're captured again. They're, they're, you know, in captivity again. Oh my gosh. But see, we have to understand because of the actions that people that we take, there are times that the God has to allow the enemy permission in. He, he has to. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of discover that a little bit. But, you know, obviously, we have Christ, right? We have Jesus. And so, man, we, we've, got, we've got a Savior that can pull us right back, back out. So what happens then is the, the, they would get in bondage, right? And then eventually they would begin to repent and begin to cry out and ask God to, to uh, forgive them, get us out of bondage. And what does God do? He shows up every time, pulls them out of bondage, gets them out, and says, okay, get it right, then let's start living this way. Yeah, 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 we will. And then what happens? You know, they're, they're doing the moonwalk back to that old thing, right? I don't dance, but it's cool. So, um, so here they are, and, and we've got to understand the Old Testament kind of has that. But see, every time, I believe this, every time, in that process... After, you know, when God, in that process of them being in bondage, every time God's using that to teach them something. Teach them about his grace, his love, whatever it is that God needed to use, right? Because God was still in control. The enemy wasn't, right? If we look at it from the perspective of who God is as the creator of the heavens and the earth, God was in control. But he was using those opportunities to begin to teach them something, to help them to understand more about who he is. So today we're going to look at three Bible characters, okay, who had, I, this is what I call it, open door syndrome, okay? They had open door syndrome to one particular area in their life. And this area is an area where even if you were a baby Christian or a mature Christian, right? You can fall into the enemy's trap, okay? And that trap is one word, pride, okay? That pride, right? And one of the things we have to understand is that the enemy loves when believers, when you and I, right, when we walk in pride. He loves that because we're going to see through these characters, these, these Bible characters, we're going to see through their lives that, you know what, if, if you're walking in any area of pride in your life, then you are opening a door for the enemy to come. And 
do some things, right? Hold you in bondage in some areas of your life. And so each of these three characters kind of has a, a specific focus of pride. They're not exactly the same, but they're all within the, the, the realm of pride, okay? And when you look at that, I'm gonna, just going to say, and I, I, I am honestly going to be honest with you. I look at that, and I, and, and I look at the traps, and I think, yeah, I've done that one before. <laughs> yeah, I've done that one before. Yeah, I've done that one before, right? So all, all of us have to understand, or maybe you'll recognize even in your own life, you know, you might be looking at it and going, yeah, that might, might be an area I struggle with, or I have done that, but I'm not, I, don't, I try not to do that. But, but just recognize that it's some things that we have to know that we've got to kind of overcome these areas of pride, okay? Because sometimes we don't even realize we're in pride. We just don't understand it. We're just kind of doing our thing. But we'll, we'll recognize this a little bit as we go on. Okay, so the very first point today is pride is trusting in your own strength. Pride is trusting in your own strength. Okay, so we're going to go to uh, Luke chapter 22 and look at our very first character who happens to be named Peter. Okay, Luke 22. And we're going to look at verses 31 and 32 and a couple other scriptures as well. But this is what it says. And the Lord said, now who's talking? Who's the Lord? Jesus, right? So this is Jesus talking. He said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. So he's not praying that Satan wouldn't do that. He's praying that the fact that, you know what? I'm praying that you won't fail in the sifting. Okay? I'm praying that you won't fail in the sifting. Now, I don't know if you've ever sifted wheat. I've never done it, but I, you know, obviously Google's great and it's awesome. But man, you know what? They get the, the thing and man, they beat, they beat the wheat so all the chaff falls off, right? So they can get to the, 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 the kernel of the wheat or whatever. But man, I, just taking that picture and I'm thinking, man, doesn't it feel sometimes like that's all this enemy does? Is he tries to beat you and beat you and beat you like just nonstop? Like he's, you know? And so here he says, man, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith sh uh, should not fail. When you have returned, and when you have returned to me, right, which he is implying that he will, strengthen your brethren, okay? Strengthen those other believers. So think about this. This is a New Testament scripture, not an Old Testament scripture, with Jesus telling a believer that Satan has asked for permission to sift him like wheat, right? And, and I would think in our natural minds, at least in mine, the first thing I would think is, oh man, there's no way Jesus would let that happen. No way. Why, Why would he let that? No, he wouldn't let that happen at all because, you know, he loves me. And, and man, you know, all this grace that he, he pours upon my life, he would not let that happen. But instead, Jesus says, um, well, um, that no is not an option right now, Peter. That, that's kind of hard, right? When you listen to it and go, hmm, what does that mean? 
right? He said, I prayed for you because you're going to fall. You're, 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 there, there's something, right, in your life, Peter. Now, the word ask, let's look, go a little deeper because really this is the key word in, in the whole thing. The word ask um, has a couple meanings. Now, in our English language, uh, usually our words most of the time just mean one thing, okay? But in Greek, a lot of times those words can mean, uh, uh, have like various degrees of meaning. Like you talk about love in Greek and there's like, I don't know, four or five or six uh, meanings of love. And then I have all different kinds of, um, you know, what they mean and all that. So, this word ask here in this passage is, is, is not the, like uh, the normal Greek word for asked. In fact, this is what the, the Greek lexicon definition is of it. It says to ask for something and to receive what one has asked for, okay, with success. So the word he's using is that Satan came and he asked for Peter to sift him like wheat and he received it with success. I mean, to me, that's like, well, wait, 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 why? Why was he, why was that, have, why did that have to happen? This is, this is the way the, um, or you could paraphrase it this way, and then I'm going to give you another translation. But it says, um, Satan asked and received permission, right? He received it. In, the, in the, um, the Passion Translation, it says it this way. Peter, my dear friend, this is Jesus talking, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat. Now, we know exactly what took place there, but this is what Jesus was saying, okay? Satan has a right to demand entry into your life because, listen to this, Simon, there is an open door in your life that obviously you can't see. There is an open door in Simon's life that Simon couldn't see. He, he didn't really know, right? And what the scripture tells us, as we can see throughout scripture, is that Peter was a guy who trusted in his own strength a lot, right? He trusted in his own strength a lot. I, look at this conversation if you go to Mark chapter 14 that Jesus had with Peter. Now, it's not in Luke, but it's in Matthew, Mark, and John, but not Luke. Um, but Mark 14, okay, let's see if you can identify some pride in Peter right here. Okay, Mark 14, verse 27 through 31, says, Jesus said to them, now he's talking to the disciples, okay, he says, you will all, this includes Peter, right, fall away and desert me. Now, when Jesus says all, does he mean all? Yes, okay, no one is excluded in this conversation, important to remember, says, you will fall away and desert me. This will fulfill the prophecy of scripture that says, I will strike down the shepherd and all the sheep will scatter far and wide. But after I am risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Then Peter, here he comes, right? Then Peter spoke up and said, even if all the rest lose their faith and fall away, I will still be beside you, Jesus you see any pride there? Right? Peter's thinking, you know what? These other guys, they're weak. They're not like me. They're so weak, man, they are going to turn from them. I'm not going to cave. They'll cave. I'm not going to cave. So there's this, this 
sense of pride within him that says, man, I'm not going to do that, Jesus. I'm not going to turn my back on you. There is no way. Yet, notice too, you remember Jesus said, all of you will. So he's almost like saying, hey, Jesus, you're not telling the truth. Right? I'm telling the truth. I'm not in the all because I'm all that and a bag of chips. Right? So Jesus says, this is my paraphrase, oh yeah, big guy? You're going to turn and cave three times. So let's see what happens. Jesus said then, he said, mark my words. Man, to me that's like, right there. Mark my words, Peter, that this very night before the rooster crows twice, a few hours from now, you will utterly deny that you know me three times. But Peter was insistent and replied emphatically, I will absolutely not. Under no circumstances will I ever deny you, even if I have to die with you. And then it says all the others repeated the same thing. Now, in my head, I just think, man, they probably felt the peer pressure like, oh, yeah, man, Peter said it, so I, I got to say it too, right? Because that's just, you know, how it goes. And so it says they all, all of them said it. But Peter was saying, man, nope, not me. It's not going to happen. I'll die with you if I have to. Jesus, you don't, I don't even care that, Jesus, you, you even spoke an Old Testament prophecy saying that this would happen. Man, it's not going to happen. I'm just telling you right now, it won't happen. So that's pride personified, right? Just, man, boom. Because I know that, that, that's one of those things where, you know, we constantly have to look at and evaluate in our own life because even at the times when we get to share a testimony with someone, right, do we, do we kind of shy away from it? Because, you know, we don't really want them to know much about my faith. Or, man, what are they going to think? What, what is going to be the, the outcome of that? Yet, Sometimes we think, oh, no, but, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I'm good. I've, I've, I'll never do that. But then, man, when the, the heat of the moment, we sometimes might, I'm not saying you do, but might shy away from that. And so that, that's an area where we've got to look at and be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, man, if that's pride, because I don't want people to think things about me or, or to, to, to kind of, you know, get in my face about my, my faith in you, then you know what? That's pride. That's pride in us, right? So let me give you another classic Peter moment. Matthew chapter 16, okay? I, Peter, Peter's one of those guys that's just got all, all these moments that we can just pull out of, of Scripture. But Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 22, says this. From that time, Jesus began to, sh to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside. <laughs> this is great. Because here's Peter. Hey, Jesus, come here, man. Let me talk to you. You're Jesus, right? Right? You're Jesus. You're the one that, you know, come on now. Why, why, why would you say this? So basically the Bible says in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. 
Again, he's showing his pride feathers, right? Kind of like that peacock, whoop, right? He's just showing it. Hey, Jesus, you can't say that. Far be it from you to say that. And then verse 23, Jesus turns to him and says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Notice he didn't say get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Okay? So here Jesus, man, he looked beyond Peter. He looked beyond the man, Peter, and saw what was influencing him to say, get behind me, Satan, with authority. Right? It wasn't Peter he was angry at. It was the fact that Peter had opened a door to pride, that the enemy found a foothold, and the enemy decided, hey, I'm going to make this even greater inside of him, right? And he's going he's to fumble all over himself. This is going to be great. This is whatever. And Jesus was able, because of who Jesus is, right? He was able to recognize that's a spiritual, spiritual thing. Not a physical thing, but a spiritual thing. See, we don't oftentimes give weight to spiritual things. Remember, we talked about in the very first a message that, you know what, we're not supposed to, you just can't be those kind of paranoid types that, you, you know, Satan's under every rock and he's under this and da, 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 all that. We can't be that type, right? But we also can't be the type that just ignores it. We got to be right in the middle of the road, recognizing that, you know what, there are spiritual things and there are spiritual principles that happen in our life because we are believers. But when we open a door to the enemy, he's going to come in. He's not going to sit back and go, well, not today. I don't think I will. You know, I, I just, I'm, I'm just relaxing, having a Coke, and it's all good. No, he says, open door, go. And, and the enemy, right, his, his workers, his demons, they come in, and they begin to influence our life. And all of a sudden, they start building these strongholds in our life that, you know, we, we don't recognize. And we don't say, hey, that's a stronghold in my life. That's something that the enemy has me in bondage over. And we've got to understand it. It's, it, it's, it's so important to recognize that, right, there are spiritual things that are, are trying to influence your life on a daily, hourly, minutely, secondly basis. All the time. So because of Peter's inf inflated arrogance right? His pride and him trusting in his own strength, Satan now had the right um, to come by way of permission, right? Granted by Peter's pride. Granted by Peter's pride. Um, and that then gave him the opportunity because God couldn't do anything in a sense where he said, okay, you asked, I'm going to give you permission because Peter's, Peter's got his peacock pride feathers up and all over the place. Okay? So we have to understand, you and I, each one of us, right? God's so good because we have the Holy Spirit in us, because of who Christ is in us, but the Holy Spirit's in us. And the Holy Spirit, man, like I said, he's open for business. He wants you to shut it down, shut your door right? He wants you to say, no, 
No more. I'm not going to walk in pride anymore. I'm not going to walk in this sense of, man, I'm something special and I can just rely on my own strength. I don't need God involved in all of this. So here's the deal. So Peter, you know, obviously he's like, man, that's not going to happen, whatever. But then what happens is we'll notice that all of a sudden he's out of character. Something changes inside of him. Okay, right? This guy who said, man, I will never deny Jesus, yet he turns around when this teenage servant girl says, hey, aren't you? Don't you know that guy? And he says, no, I don't know him. And then the Bible even says this. The Bible says he starts to curse and swear. And I put this in like a sailor because he was a fisherman, right? Get it? Okay. Anyways, um, but he starts to curse and swear at her. He said, I don't, I don't know him. He's totally out of character. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul warns this, okay? He warns, warns us about this. It says this, therefore, let the one who thinks he stands firm, okay? Let the one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, being overconfident and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. Think about that. Pride. I, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to make a, a wrong step, right? And even if I do, then, you know, Jesus is so gracious and everything like that. That kind of, that's sloppy grace, right? Sloppy agape. Love. No, it's us being diligent to say, hey, you know what? I... Man, I'm no better than my my brother or sister in the Lord. And I have to do everything that I can to make sure that I am walking in humility in every area of my life. And we'll we'll, we'll see a little more of that. Because Satan loves nothing more to do, right? As you become even more mature in your walk with Jesus, he likes to set more and more traps, right? Because you kind of get complacent. Oh, yeah, it worked out before. It'll work out again. I, I made sure it did, right? So he, he tries to set these traps. Okay, so let me give you the second one. Second one is pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Now, we're going to look at Job, okay? Job chapter 1, verse 6 through 12. That's just before Psalms. It says, now, uh, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Like, he knew, I I bet, but, you know, he just wanted to ask. So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and uh, from walking back and forth on it. I was thinking about that scripture we shared last week. Um, You know, how he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Then, in verse 8, he says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? So he's basically saying, Hey, you know what? He's got no... I mean, check this out. Verse 10, Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Verse 11. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely uh, curse you to your face. 
Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that, ha- Behold, all that he has is in your power. So basically God gr- granted permission. He says, Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Okay? So here Satan is, and now he has permission to go out and devour what Job has. Now, sometimes this is kind of a hard passage to understand because we kind of look at it and think, wow, um, I don't, man, God would really do that? But you know what? What you have to really do to get clarity is to read the whole chapter, right? All of the verses. Because all of the verses will kind of explain what we're going to talk about and just, just here. Okay? So for 31 chapters, Job's three friends show up. Okay? And they show up to try to comfort him, to try to give him words of advice. Um, but they don't do a very good job. But there are times that they speak truth to him. So over these 31 chapters, they keep saying to Job over and over again, Job, are you sure there is not an open door in your life somehow? Are you sure there is no cause the enemy was able to use against you? And, and Job's response every time, nope, not a, not a thing, right? And he keeps mentioning over and over again that he hasn't done these things, but he's done these things, right? So he's trying to, he, he keeps saying, I have done the righteous things. I haven't done the bad things. And he lists like all these things, almost like he's trying to get the gold star, you know, on, on the little board or the gold medal or something like that. Then chapter 32, a young man named Elihu who has been, he's been sitting there and he's been listening. And he's listening to these four guys talk back and forth. And he's waiting for them to come up with the answer to what, what is going on here. But, but they weren't coming up with the answer. And it said that he got kind of frustrated or in, in, if you do common terms now, triggered. He was triggered, right? That means you're upset, you're mad, you're angry, right? So he's triggered. So he said, hey, listen, guys, I have been quiet because you're older than me. You're my elders. But I was hoping that you would eventually try to figure this thing out. You would nail it on the, on the head. But none of you have. So let me tell you what the problem is. Verse uh, Job 32, 1 through 2. Okay? This is what he says. So these three men ceased answering Job because, and I've underlined this, because Job, he was righteous in his own eyes. Right? Then the wrath of Elihu, I, I probably butchered that, and from some, from guy, some guy named Barchel, the Buzzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. That means he was triggered. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Are you seeing what Job was doing? He's justifying himself rather than justifying God. And then he goes on to say this in verse 8 and 9. Surely you have spoken in my hearing. Okay, that, that's him saying, I've heard you guys say this. And I have heard the sound of your words, Job, saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent. There is no iniquity in me. Now, was Job Jesus? No. He would have had to have been Jesus in order for him 
to be able to justify that statement. But he is not, right? And then here comes uh, Elihu, or Elihu, or whatever his name is. I mess it up all the time. Continues, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Because you can see it on the board. In verse uh, Job 36.3, right? Because he's now he's, man, he's got this long rant going. He's just like going off on them, right? And he says this. I, now that's because of, of um, Job, right? Or p- even people, right? He says, I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. Basically saying, you know what? I'm going to tell you, the maker of everything, what is righteous. So he, he kind of stepped into a trap, right? Job has been believing, man, I have done nothing wrong. I am righteous in every single thing. I am perfect. There is no way. And he has stepped into the trap. And that opened the door, right? Because Job thought he was righteous because he, he thought his righteousness was, was with what he did, not with who he knew, right? His righteousness in his mind was because of what he did, not because of who he knew, right? So that opened that door for the enemy to come in. But we have to remember, right? We're not righteous because of what we do. We're made righteous by the blood of Jesus, by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He has made you righteous. Nothing, nothing we do makes us righteous, but we are righteous in him, right? I love what Isaiah says. He says this in, in Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all, that's all of us, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, right? So your righteousness, my righteousness, if it's not under the blood of Jesus, is like a filthy rag. And nobody likes a filthy rag, right? You don't want to touch a filthy rag. It's like, ah. But see, that, that's how it is. But see, when we're under the blood of Jesus, when we've made Jesus the Lord and Savior of our life, then you know what? We are righteous in him. I don't have to earn it. But you know what? I, I need to walk in righteousness by loving him, by showing that how I love him is by just doing what, what his scripture says, by having a relationship with him. Just important for us to realize. And, and, you know, Jesus gives us this great, great example, this great picture in Luke 18, 11. You don't have to turn there. But it was this, this Pharisee came. And he came and he prayed in the church. And as he was praying, this tax collector came in, right? And tax collectors weren't thought of very highly at all. But this tax collector came in. And the prayer of the Pharisee was, God, I thank you. I'm not like him. I'm not like others. Man, his, his open door was comparison. Do we fall into that trap? Do we compare ourselves to others? In a sense, I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm so glad that... When, when God looks at each one of us, he looks at each one of us equal, right? It don't matter how much money you make. It don't matter where you live. It don't matter what, how things look. He looks at each one of us and he says, man, you are equal in my eyes. I love you just the same as I would love Billy Graham. Right? But see, we, we, we've got to be able to, to, to look at our own lives and, and really be truthful. 
before the Lord. We need to be truthful. So, for 31 chapters again, right? He compares, he, he just says, hey, you can't compare me to anybody, right? If you do, you'll see that I am more righteous than them. And I don't understand why this is all happening to me. But then what happens is God shows up. And, and I think we have to understand that, you know, God will always show up, even in our pride. And, and the, he'll use the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will kind of start speaking. But, but the, here in this example, God shows up, and he calls Job out, right? Man, he's having none of this. And he calls Job out. And so if you, if, when you go home, read chapters 38 through 40. Um, but I'm going to give you two brief highlights. But he calls him out. But, but this is uh, verse 38, or chapter 38, verses 2 and 3. Now this is God talking. As, as it says in Job. He says, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, you, man, you know how silent it was just now? I bet you that same silence was happening. <laughs> right? He says, Now prepare yourself like a man. What? I will question you, and you shall answer me. Right? Mic drop. And I think about it. There is no way Job can answer these questions that he brings out. Like, he brings out, right, the, the kind of the questions he, he does. He ranges it, like, from the laying down of the foundations of the earth. Like, how is Job going to answer that? He can't. Because he wasn't there. He doesn't know. Then he goes in and says, hey, Job, so tell me, how is light diffused? What? Right? He, he, he just starts laying all of these things out that only God could have done. Only God could have created. And then God says this in verse 40, uh, chapter 8. He says to Job, would you condemn me, that's God, that you may be justified? Think about that. Would you condemn me so that you may be justified? Man, that is, uh, maybe I'm going on a limb here, but that is something that, man, happens a lot. People condemn God just so that they're justified for their sin. Right? That they're justified, well, and basically what it's doing is slapping God in the face. And they say, well, I'm in this terrible problem. And I'm in this and that and that and whatever. And not saying that, you know, problems don't happen. I'm not, you know, whatever. But sometimes our attitude is to condemn God for the situation. When God just turns around and says, hey, if you would look in the mirror, you're the cause of the situation. Because we want to justify before other people. Man, that that happens a lot, doesn't it? Okay, and I'm just going to say, I've fallen into that trap. Two, I'm not, I'm not alone. I'm right there. If we started a, fa- a club, I would be signing up for it, okay? But we have to understand, we, we, we can't do that, right? I don't want God asking me these questions. But see, pride will lead us in that way to where we think we're justified over what God does, over who God is. So, we have to live righteously, okay? Living righteously is the right thing to aim for, but living righteously doesn't make you and I righteous, right? So we live to be righteous before God, right? 
Righteous breaking it down, being in right standing with him. Okay? That's, that's the easy version of it. But, so we want to live that way, but that doesn't qualify us to be righteous in his eyes. Only the blood of Jesus. Let me give you the last one. Pride is trusting in your own wisdom. Pride is trusting in your own wisdom. Right? I mean, that, that basically means you can figure it out on your own. Man, you know how to approach things. I've got it all dialed in. Right? But turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 22. And we're going to look at one more guy. This guy's name is Ahab. Okay? His name is Ahab, and he's the king of Israel at the time. And Ahab has about 400 prophets on his payroll. Okay? And they're all serving him because he takes good care of them because they're on his payroll. But when they prophesy, they make sure because they're on the payroll that they say the things that he wants to hear. Right? Hey, you're on my payroll. If you don't agree with me, then hey, out the door. And so we find this story where Ahab... He asked Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah, to come and visit. So Jehoshaphat comes, right? And now Jehoshaphat was a good king, right? He loved God. He wanted to try to do the best he could. But Ahab, man, not, 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 not so much. He was, a, he was a really bad, bad king, really bad guy, okay? So Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, let's go attack Syria and get back this city that is rightfully ours, uh, Ramoth-Gilead. So Jehoshaphat, being the awesome guy that he is, he says this, let's ask a prophet first for God's wisdom on this. Now remember, pride is not looking for God's wisdom. Pride is wanting your own wisdom. Okay? So Jehoshaphat says that. He said, hey, let's get some prophets. So what what does Ahab do? He gets his 400, right? He gets his 400 payroll prophets to come in, and they all say, all 400 of them, go, God has given you the city. Go. But then, kind of give you an outline, right? He, he, he told them everything he wanted to. They, they said everything. But, but here's the deal. God had a different opinion on it. Man, don't we fall into that trap sometimes? Right? Because we think, oh, no, I know. I know, I know what to do. Uh, whatever. And God's saying, no. You know, the red flags are out. You know, going like this. You know, like at the airport. When the airplanes are coming in, they're going like this. And woo, you know, doing all that or whatever. You can imagine. Maybe, you know, your, your angels waving the red flag. Like, don't you do it, Pastor Scott. Don't you go there. It's not wise. And yet here I am, the knucklehead that I am sometimes, and go that direction. And they're like, ah. right? Anyways, 1 Kings 22, verse 7 and 8. And Jehoshaphat said, is there still not a prophet of the Lord here? So after all these 400 prophets, Jehoshaphat knows. These guys are on your payroll. They're going to say whatever you want. Because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go take that city. But here he comes. And he says, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, 
by whom we may inquire of the Lord. So there was one. You know where he was? He was in jail. You know why he was in jail? Because he prophesied something the guy didn't want to hear. He said, yeah, we, can, we got one still, right? That we can inquire of the Lord. But listen to what he says. This is so great. He says, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil, right? I just picture it right there. It's like, where's the cheese with that wine, right? It's just right there. So Ahab calls for him anyways, right? Despite his hate for him, you know, haters are going to hate. And then it says this in verse 15. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, uh, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? For refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into your hand of the king. Now, listen, he was being sarcastic. That's sarcasm, 101. Because he knew the king was going to do whatever he wanted to do, because he's had encounters with him before. He's prophesied what the Lord wanted, and he said no. Even one time he prophesied, right, and, and he threw him in jail. And then, you know, he was about, he, you know, I think the prophecy had something to do with that he was going to die. But then he repented, and the Lord gave him three more years. And then you find him back here again, okay, which, man, I hope I'm never that, like, just, you know, kind of dumb in my head. Um, verse 16, so the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you will tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Now, here, here's the truth. Then he said, I saw Israel, uh, all Israel scattered on the mountains um, as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Does that sound very good? No. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me? Right? This guy, you can just see his hands up in the air. See, I told you so. He don't like me. He's just not going to prophesy what I want. He says, concerning me, but evil. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by and on his right hand and on his left. Now, the host of heaven refers to angels right? But what some people don't know is that sometimes it refers to fallen angels as well, right? Because you remember, Satan came before God. He came before him, okay? So, here we have in verse 20, and the Lord said, who will persuade, now remember, he's got this heavenly host, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead, right? So he's like, hey, who wants to do it? So he will fall because he's being prideful. He thinks he's smart. So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in ma this manner. And then verse 21, this is really, really key for what I had said before. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Now, that's not the Holy Spirit, is it? And I can't picture any other spirit that's godly lying. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and, and also prevail. So what was God doing? Giving him permission, right? So this is what he says. Go out and do so. Verse 23. 
Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all those prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared, listen, disaster against you. Okay? God is still in control. But because Ahab chose to believe the lie over God's will, God gave permission for the evil spirit to fulfill God's purpose. Okay? But God, again, is always, always, always in control. So Ahab's problem was that he trusted in his own wisdom, not God's. Right? And when we trust in our own wisdom, when we kind of don't choose to seek maybe godly counsel or even seek God's word, for advice, for wisdom, what God would have to say about it, right? Because sometimes people don't do that because they already know it's not going to line up with what they want. Yeah, I don't want to talk to God about this because I know what God's going to say, right? I, I remember, and I've told you guys this story before, but I, I just remember a long time ago when I felt called into ministry and, uh, I did not want any part of it. I was like, no, I can't do it. There's no way. I, I don't like talking in front of people. I get sweaty palms. I get nervous. I get stomach. I can't do it. I just, there's just no way I can do it. And I decided that that was not for me. <laughs> Praise God that God did not let go. Right? And he kept on and he kept on. But in my wisdom, I discounted I did not want to do it. Other decisions that we've made down the road in our life, moving from California to, to Concord, North Carolina. Man, everything was comfortable in California. All of my family was in California. All of her family was in California. Felt comfortable. And our wisdom was, why go? <laughs> Let's just stay. Let's just do this. Yet, we went and sought godly counsel. We talked to people. We prayed. We took time and chewed on it. Because sometimes, you know what? I think we don't give God enough time to answer. We just jump. And so we did all of that. And God said, no, my wisdom is this. You go to Concord. And let's go do this thing. So we had to, to listen and we obeyed and we went to Concord and then this whole thing. And then, you know, here I am now, which I would have never thought at the age of 12, when I felt God called me to ministry, that I'd ever be doing this. But see, it's God's wisdom, right? It's not my wisdom. My wisdom would have been, man, I don't know where I'd be right now. Probably somewhere I shouldn't be. But God's wisdom but see, a lot of times we don't want to go to God because we know what God's answer is going to be and it doesn't line up with what we feel it should be. And so a lot of times we, we disregard that. But when we do that, then we open the door to pride, right? We open this door where the enemy comes in and goes, yeah, see, you don't want to follow what God wants you to do. That's crazy, right? God says to tithe, that's crazy. That's 10%. You know what your bills look like? You know what this looks like? You know what that is? What's more important, God's wisdom or your wisdom? 
God's wisdom is way more important. And, and, and look, at this, this, look at this scripture real quick. James chapter uh, 3, verse 14 and 15. This is how James describes when we walk in our own wisdom. Okay? It says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart. Now you might say, oh, bitter envy, man. I'm good, man. I don't have any problems with that. But man, isn't our heart sometimes deceitful? Isn't our heart sometimes wanting that self-seeking thing, right? He says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie about the truth, right? Oh, this is what God said. I know it. Yet all along in the back of your head, you know God didn't say it, right? I'll give you a quick another example. So some of you guys already know, I was engaged to someone else in Bible college before I met my wife, Heather, right? And I got engaged, but I knew... I knew God said, you're not supposed to marry her. You're not. Oh, come on, God. Man, no, she's perfect. No, you're not. I, and honestly, I'll be honest with you today. I, if I had married her, I don't know if I would even be in ministry. Not, nothing against her, but just, just looking at, at, yeah, at the cards. But see, we have to understand that, you know, we, we, we can't open ourselves up to this. Right? So this is what it says. Do not boast and lie against the truth and say, oh yeah, God said this, right? Listen, this wisdom does not descend from above. You catch that? This wisdom, when it's from bitter envy and self-seeking in our own hearts, right? This wisdom does not ascend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Man, I, I couldn't say it any plainer than that, right? And so we have to, to, to recognize, man, I, you can't open yourself up to these areas of pride where you think you got it, right? I got it in my own strength. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm better than they are. Man, I, I, I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to do my own thing, right? Because that, I, that just opens yourself up to an attack of the enemy to put you in bondage. I got one more scripture. I know, man, they're playing keyboard and they're gonna, I'm going to wear your fingers out today, right? But I got one more scripture, okay? I promise then I'm going to wrap it up. Well, then I got another one too, but anyways. I just feel like I, I need to finish it, if that's okay with you guys, okay? Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, okay? Haughty means, you know, your attitude that thinks it's higher than others and things like that. But listen to it again. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Notice it doesn't say pride goes before a fall. See, that is one of the most often misquoted scriptures around, right? Because we always say it that way. I fall into that trap sometimes. But if you really look at it, it says a haughty spirit does, right? For a fall, but not pride. Pride brings about destruction in one's life. Pride brings about destruction in one's life. So if you are walking in pride, right? If you got elements of your life in pride and you're unwilling to repent, just know you're on a pathway to destruction. Okay? It might not happen immediately, but over time, the enemy is building stronger and stronger strongholds in your life. Things that you can't break free of. 
because you're allowing your pride to be the driving force of your life. When God says, no, all I want is you to be humble. Come humbly before me. Right? Come humbly before me. So to be pride, we can see in in two of these guys' lives, in um, Peter and in Job, to be pride in their life, what did they do? They repented. They just asked the Lord, yeah, I, I got some issues, man. We see in Ahab, though, Ahab didn't repent. Ahab went to battle anyways. And then it says in the scripture that some random bow, right, or arrow, that some guy just shot randomly, right? Because he, he had his whole plan out, right? He kind of set Jehoshaphat up for them to go chase after Jehoshaphat to kill him and not kill him. He'd be in the battle way back in the back. And then, you know, it, it'll all work out. But then they recognize, hey, that's not Ahab. That's the one we want. And then he's somewhere, they don't know where he is, but it says in the Bible that some random arrow, right? Some guy just took an arrow, right? And it said that it hit in between his armor, right? This little tiny area, just random, not even shooting it at him. But can you just see God just going, you know, like blowing it over and going, you know, and boom. And what happened? He died. Destruction, exactly like God said, if we aren't willing to repent. Now, I'm not saying God's going to come with an arrow and you know, that's all going to happen to you and you're, all that. But all, all I'm trying to say is you're on a pathway to destruction. So that's why it's so important to get freedom. That's why it's so important to, to, to break free from all this stuff. So here's my last scripture, and we'll end it. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And this is in the Amplified Version. It says this. But he gives us more and more grace. This is God. Man, I'm so thankful for Pastor James. He says, but he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. To defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. So the Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to walk this thing out even when pride might show up He'll he'll say, hey, you got some pride there, Scott. Okay, let me take care of it. And it says, therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. It says, so submit to the authority of God, resist the devil, stand firm against him. And what does it say? He will flee from you, right? So in humility, if you've got pride in your life or you've got these areas that that you could connect to open doors in your life that allows the enemy to come in, all you got to do with humility is come before him and repent and say, Lord Jesus, man, I'm messed up in my humanity. I'm, you know, I got all kinds of issues. And the cool thing is he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. But I love you anyways. Oh man, do I love you. And all you got to do is come to me and let's start working on these things. Let's start working it out. Let's, let's kind of get it going. And so today, as we close, um, I want to just be able to, to encourage you. You, you might have, through the service, been able to identify some things in your life right now. Or it might take you a couple days. But I'm going to ask you just 
to do this one homework assignment. Okay, homework, yeah, in church. The homework assignment is this. Throughout your week, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus, ask God. Are there areas in my life that I have opened doors to, that I've opened the door to the enemy to? And he might say it's pride, right? He might say it's something else. And, and when you feel, right, because I believe that he'll talk to you, right? The Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. When you feel he's talking to you and he shows you something, repent on the spot. Don't, don't rationalize it. Don't over, yeah, you know, I'll get to it. No, even if it's you're driving in your car and the Holy Spirit says, hey, you got a pride issue with this one person, then in your car, repent. Don't close your eyes because you're driving, right? But repent. Jesus, man, I'm sorry I got this issue. I got pride in my life. Man, take it away from you, right? And Jesus said, if you do that, man, I'll forgive you on the spot. You know, and then, I'm just going to throw in a little extra. He might say, then what I want you to do is I want you to go talk to that person. Now, you might not. But if he says, go talk to that person and just say, hey, man, I'm sorry for my attitude towards you. I'm sorry for the things that, man, have been stirring inside of me. Then do it. Because you know what you're doing? You're shining a light onto that, that, that area of your life that Satan has so wanted you to hide. So wanted you not to know you're dealing with it. When light comes, light always wins, doesn't it? Always. And so sometimes we got to be honest enough with Jesus to be able to say, show me where it is and then let the light begin to shine. For us to pull it out and say, here, be exposed to the light of who Christ is. Be exposed to the light of God's word. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.